0: Good morning, church. My name is Paul. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, and the thing that I want to encourage you on today is that question of what is your life going to be like in five years? And most of us, we can't even think about what's on our calendar five days from now, let alone plan for five years, but there's certain things in your life that you won't be able to accomplish unless you set the direction that you want to go. And the fact is, you know that if you applied yourself and you said, five years from now, I, I really want to, to achieve this, I want to have a college degree, five years from now, if you set your mind to it, you know you could have a brand new degree that helps you towards something. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that you could do, and especially if you just go slow and steady. It, if you decided, you know what, I think I need a few more tattoos, and you got a, a three-inch tattoo every month for the next five years, you'd be completely covered. Your 22 square feet of skin on your body would be completely covered with tattoos. You, you, you could do it. There, there's all kinds of great things. There, there's you know, great things that you can do, and there, there's not so great things that you could do. You, you, could, you could stop brushing your teeth. Five years from now, your your gums would become so diseased that they would see your teeth as an infection and loosen and let your teeth fall out, and you'd be a pretty different looking and smelling person five years from now. There, there's lots that you could do or you could coast through, because the fact is we know in our head that we'd say, man, I would really love it if five years ago I had decided to take $350 a month and set it aside so that I'd have $20,000 sitting in my account right now so I could take a month-long vacation to Europe. I would love if I did that five years ago. We love the things that we could have done, but the question is, what could we do? How different could your family be? How different could your work situation be? How different could your spiritual life be if you really leaned into what God was asking of you for the next five years? I believe that when we set goals, when we set our sights like that, when we live our life in that kind of style of saying, I'm going to accomplish something that cannot be accomplished in 12 months, that's like the people who planted orchards that feed people 15, 20, 50 years after their life has even ended. We want to live the type of life that blesses people in an abundant way. And it takes some foresight. It takes some decisions. It takes, just quite honestly, some drastic actions. And today we're going to be looking at, the, at, at an interaction between Elisha and Elijah. This is an Old Testament story. And this is, this is, it has so many interesting points to it. But what I really want you to draw from it is some of the truths of this is, this is one of the ways that God works in his people. Uh, Elijah was a prophet, and he was like the alpha prophet. I mean, he, he did incredible things. He's one of the guys who, who collected a bunch of other prophets who were not following God, and, and he called fire down from heaven. I mean, God protected him and fed him by ravens at times. Like, God did extraordinary things through Elijah, and at the end, towards the end of his ministry, God spoke directly to him, and he said, I, the person who will success, who be your successor is going to be Elisha. And so, get him ready. And that's kind of where we pick it up. God's spoken to him, and we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to be looking through the next couple chapters, but we'll be pulling pieces so that we can get an accurate picture of what's happening here. So we'll put this up on the screen as I read it, starting at verse 19. It says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, because you, we can't really talk about Elijah, Elisha, unless you know his dad, right? It helps if you understand who his dad is. Um, he, he was out plowing a field, and there were 12, te- 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. I'm going to pause there for just a second, because First of all, there's cultural things in it that just kind of go straight by us because, okay, he has, you know, 12 teams of oxen. First of all, like the 2020 version of this, you might be like, he had 12 Bentleys lined up. Like, I mean, like when you understand 12 teams of oxen, like this was wealth. As Elijah walked up to this young man, Elisha, he was working on, you know, Shaphat Family Farms Incorporated and he had it made. Like, life was good. Elisha was lined up to be set for the rest of his life. And as, as he walks up, he takes his cloak and he throws it on him. And Elijah just tend to do, tended to do things in a dramatic way through his life. He just threw the cloak on him. Didn't, I mean, it was like he took a shot, didn't look to see if it went in, and he just walked off. And, and, and it was this dramatic flair in and interaction. But as Elijah did this to Elisha, Elijah knew exactly what it meant. And he knew that Elijah was calling him to come and follow him. That, that he would be a, a prophet in training. And, and, and then we see, so, so Elijah did this and he threw his cloak and just, he just walked off. And then into verse 20, it says that Elisha left the oxen standing there. I mean, he just hopped, hopped away from the plows and began chasing after Elisha. Left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I will go with you, Elijah replied. Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. And now, when he says what I have done to you, like he's immediately saying, okay, yeah, go say goodbye to your mom and dad but as you look at them and as you kiss them goodbye understand the life change that's going to happen because when you're out in this sort of ministry there's not you know this cush life that you've been used to provision is not always going to come in the place that, that you expect it to I mean he understood that prophets were oftentimes hated by kings I mean this would have been common knowledge so the invitation was there but Elijah, just at the very beginning, said, okay, this is an opportunity that God's giving you, but understand the costs that come along with it. You will be saying goodbye to your mom and dad. You will be saying goodbye to the farm. Count the costs. I mean, this echoes, it's almost echoed in Luke 9:23 when Jesus was teaching, and you can put this verse up on the screen, and Jesus said to the crowd, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way take up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, it was this same sense of count the costs. And that's what was happening with Elijah and Elijah. But but Jesus, straight from his mouth to those who would be his followers, he said, you need to to understand you give up your own way. And so I just want to make sure I get in my own face a little bit about this for me. Like, Paul, do you understand? Like, When you have those conversations with God, and it's like, well, God, I think this is what we really should do, and Scripture's very clear, no, this is what you need to do. Well, you know, you don't understand my situation. No, this is what Scripture instructs. And Jesus' calling, Jesus' words, his instructions to those who would be his followers was, if you want to follow me, then you have to take your own way and give it up. To be my disciple, there's costs that come. And I know that right now, like, I mean, some of us are still holding on to the New Year's resolution, right? I mean, it's, it's only January 14th. We're not that far yet, but I'm pro- you're probably beginning to feel the struggle of the gym or the diet or whatever resolution you've set. Maybe you're starting to feel the tension of that. But especially when it comes to the things that God has called us, there, there's going to be times where it's like, I don't want to bite my tongue, I want to say it. But, but you know, let, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but that, only that which is good for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Like, like you'll feel the rub in so many different ways. And Jesus' words, they, they don't lack clarity. Take your way and give it up, and follow me. And if you can't count that cost, then understand, this is the cost of being my follower. Not, not just words, not just actions, not behavior, not just finances, not just energy and time serving, but I mean, the, the depth that Jesus took it to in that passage was actually, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, now this is, I, I don't want to be discouraging, I want to encourage you, but I want you to have clear and accurate expectations about what life holds for the follower of Christ. It's not always going to be easy. I think that Scripture is clear, and we'll see in one of the later passages that we look at that that Scripture gives us a call to joy. That, That we're not, oh, we're suffering, I'm taking up my cross daily, this is terrible. No, like we have this extravagant love of God that is poured out into our life. There is a joy that nothing of the world can take away. And in fact, I'll tell you, that the struggle that we feel to let go of things like anger and wrath and malice and gossip, these things that we just tend to do that we have trouble letting go of, there is an actual greater joy that God has in store for you once you get rid of those things. In every area, from the way that we view our, our neighbor, the way that we view someone of the opposite sex, to the way that we handle our finances, there are struggles of lining up with what Scripture says. But once we get to that point, there is actually a greater joy that you will experience. God designed you. I mean I mean he knew every word before it would leave your lips. He he's known you intimately from the time you're in your mother's womb, every womb, every hair that is on your head, he has it numbered. He knows you and he knows what you really need. And so his words in scripture, his instructions to you, they do not fall flat. When you read them and you say, "Oh, that would be really hard. I don't think I could pull that off." That is actually God speaking t- to you saying, "Hey, I'm calling you to something better." If that feels hard, then it's going to take you to an even better place. But once again, it gets to that point, that thing that Jesus was talking about. Will you give up your own way? Or are you going to tell God? Are you going to tell Jesus, no, this is the limited role that you get to play in my life because I'm in charge here. We know that doesn't make sense. But every freaking Monday... I mean, right? Like, it starts to happen. They start to get on my nerves. I get it. But I don't want you to be blind to it. The struggle is supposed to be felt. It's supposed to be there. And there's a joy that is won as we win that struggle. It's not going to be easy. The way is narrow that leads to life. Very few people find it. I'd say very few people choose it. So Elisha, he's confronted with this choice and this opportunity. And and I will say that just contextually, there had to already be something going on in Elisha's heart about his passion and his love for God, where he he, he wanted to serve. Because he had a great situation, and he's getting called out into something that that is a a tough living situation. Like, you don't know where you're going to sleep. You don't know where food's going to come from. So there must have been a stirring in his heart already when this happened. And so picking back up at at, at verse, actually wait, let me pause so I don't skip my things. Um, One of the first thoughts from this, um, great things have high costs. Great things have high costs. God has a life that is planned for you. God has a calling that is planned for you. The, The marriage that he wants you to have will come at the cost of pride, ego, sleep, the, the, the type of kids that you want to raise, you want to raise great kids, that's going to come at the cost of energy, sometimes sanity, um, sleep, money. I mean, like, all of those things, they, they will add, like, the great things, the kids who become great kids are because parents pour themselves into them. If you want to have a great spiritual life, then it's going to come at the cost of other things that other people have at times. If you want to have strong friendships, it's going to come at the cost of spending time with someone else. Like All great things have great costs. And to follow God the way that Elijah was asking Elisha to follow him, the, to follow Christ the way that Jesus invites us, it has a high cost. And before you begin to say, well, you know what? Grace is free, Paul. Uh, grace was not free. Grace was, was probably the most expensive thing that was ever purchased because it was purchased by the blood of the Son of God. It is given to us as, a, us as a gift, but it was not free. Uh, it was very much earned. Great things have high costs. Into verse 21. So, Elisha, so going right out of verse 20, where he said, you know, Elijah's given the instruction, go back and think about what I've done to you. In verse 21, so Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their, their flesh. They had a barbecue and he passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. And so he hops into the, the, this unpaid internship and it's interesting what he does because he, he took his fallback plan and he set it on fire. I mean, to, to go from the verses where Elijah is asking him, count the costs, Think about what I've done to you in asking you to do this. Elisha's answer is, there is no going back for me. I'm in, 100%. He closed the door and he celebrated what was happening. And it's an amazing Faith filled response. And, and so he, it's this great big moment. It's the, this climactic thing. And he enters into this really exciting time of following around Elijah. And then through the next couple chapters, we actually hear nothing about Elisha. I mean, this is interesting because Elisha paid a huge cost. Like he was like, God, look at this. I am 100% in. Burn the plows. Cook the oxen. Let's go. Let's do church. Let, let, let's, let's pursue it. And then there's nothing significant enough that happens in his ministry and life until almost just the death, or not the death, the, the end of Elijah's ministry because he was taken up in, a, in chariots of fire. And that's the way that his ministry and life ended on earth. But there's nothing about Elisha. And in fact, until you get into second kings, the only thing that we get to really hear about Elisha's time while he is serving Elijah is when the king is asking, "Is there a prophet that can be found?" And one of the, the people in the court say, "Well, we don't have any prophets, but we have this guy who used to wash the hands of the prophet. OK, so we're talking like 11 to 18 years after Elisha burned his wealth. 11 to 18 years, what he was known as was the guy who washed Elijah's hands. Now, I don't know how you would feel about your aspirations if you took about a dozen Bentleys and set them on fire for Jesus and stepped into ministry to be the bathroom attendant. How would you feel? God, really? God, I stepped out. God, I did that. You, you called me, and here I am, three months into not having what I want yet. God, you called me, and I said yes, and here we are, two years, and I am holding towels and helping people wash their hands. I, I just, like, from this story, this is how God worked in Elijah and Elisha's life. Elisha was called, he didn't miss here, like, he was called, he responded in great faith. And he did not get the thing that he was hoping to get very quickly. And so for you, your expectation, when you ask God to do something or God asks you to do something and you say yes, but you don't immediately see blessing and favor in return, do you immediately think, oh, I did the wrong thing? I mean, when you clearly know, this is something I need to do. Like, I need to step out of this relationship that I've been in. I know that it's destructive, but here I am six months, 12 months, two years later, and I'm still lonely. God, did I do the wrong thing? I mean, when, when, when it's our heart that is doing the waiting, it's easy to read the Scripture and be like, well, okay, Elisha had to wait 11 years, whatever. But when it's your heart that has to do the waiting... Does it all of a sudden feel like, oh, this must be completely broken. I must have messed up. I must have hurt. God wouldn't want me to be lonely. God wouldn't want me to be sad. God wouldn't want me to have to do without. God wouldn't want me to drive that kind of a car. God wouldn't want me to have to work beneath someone else. I mean, I just I want to press on that for a minute. Because churches get this twisted, like, God. I believe God does want to bless his people. But that doesn't mean that you don't walk through a time of preparation. It does not mean that you don't walk through a decade of preparation. And if God has called you into it, and you walk into it with confidence, and you know, this is where I'm supposed to serve, this is how I'm supposed to live, but it's difficult for a while, that doesn't mean you heard wrong. And it doesn't mean you tuck tail and run away and back out. It means that you look and say, okay, God, you have called me to walk through a desert and I'll walk through a desert. You have called me to to pick up my cross daily. I will pick up my cross daily. I will obey the words that you've, you've spoken to me through your scripture, no matter what the cost. And this is because God is at the center of our story and not ourselves. This is a story about how our life is a story about how we bring him honor, not how he honors us. We glorify him. He doesn't glorify us, but we we do. We are the recipients of of blessing and favor and great things at times. But that doesn't mean that we don't walk through difficulties. And so it's interesting. He goes through this time, and then it gets to the end of Elijah's life. And finally, Elisha enters back into the story. And, and Elijah knows that his time is coming. I mean, he actually complained to God about how terrible the people was and it almost looked like his life started to, his ministry on earth began to wrap up because he, he almost lost hope and God's, God gave him some instructions and, he, and he's going and he's having a conversation with Elijah in 2 Kings 2.9. We'll actually put this up on the screen and I'll read it to you. And it, and it says, when they came to the other side of the river, Elijah, and Eli- Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please tell me, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now, this is an interesting ask because uh, for the you know, last at least 10 years, Elisha has been serving Elijah in a way where he just did what he was told, like wash my hands. Like, I mean, just whatever Elijah needed, Elisha would have been doing. And so at the close of Elijah's ministry, Elisha, he, he asks big. Like, Elijah has done incredible things, and he looks at what Elijah's done, and he says, I want, I, want to, I want to see double what you saw. And this is an interesting ask because there's part of us that responds to an ask like this, and we say, man, that sounds like some sort of, like, greed. Like, you want to, why do you want to do more? And, and I want to tell you, there's a truth that God will allow us to walk through difficulty but God wants to see great things in your life more than you want to see great things in your life. You, you have your eyes on some great things that aren't really great things at all, but what God wants for you is better than what you have planned for you. That he wants to pour, pour his blessing and favor out on his children so that they shine like lights here in this darkness because they don't complain, because there's just something different about them. God wants great things for you. And so I, I want to make sure that you see, even in the face of difficulty, it's not that we don't ask God for something better. And in fact, when, when I pray for, for the young leaders that God's given me to pour into, when I pray for Drew, when I pray for Aspen, when, when I pray for Cassie, when, when I pray for my kids, the thing that I usually ask for them, God, I want to see twice the kingdom work come out of them than what's come out of me in my life. Out of the great things and the miracles and the blessings that I've got to see and the favor that I've got to experience, God, give them even more. If we plant a church that grows to over 1,000, I want to see Drew one day go plant a church that grows to over 5,000. May, may the blessings that happen here, may they just multiply. And I'm going to tell you, God doesn't look at us and say, you don't, you're asking for too much. Because the fact is, God wants to do even more. And, and as Elisha asks this, Elijah says, oh, that, that's a hard thing, but there will be a sign for you. And, and if it happens, it happens. But, you know, I can't control that. And just this, this second point is, you know, seek God and his blessings. And I want to make that clarification because it's not wrong to seek blessings. It's not wrong to seek the favor of God. It's not wrong to seek great things for you and for your family, and for the people you love. That's not wrong. What's wrong is when you try to seek those without seeking God, without having, like, you know, God, I, I don't want to, you know, invest too much time into getting to know you or reading your word or doing anything that really inconveniences my schedule, but, oh, would you just really make this job work out for me? Like, that just doesn't make sense. I, I, I mean, we seek God and his blessings. Like, like, we seek him and knowing him, and then from that relationship, man, blessing and favor, like, it overflows but it's twisted when, when I, don't, I, I don't want to pick on any churches, but, but if a church ever just talks about just praying for favor and blessing without praying for a close, intimate relationship with God, there's something wrong with that. Because the greatest blessing that you can ever have is a close and intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. It changes the worth of everything else. It changes the way that you see money, the way that you see your family, the way that you see your neighbor. I mean, like, that is the foundation. And so we can't miss, we can't be people who just seek after blessings without seeking after our Heavenly Father, because that is the greatest blessing, first and foremost. And so we want to seek after God, and we want to seek after His blessings. We don't want to be afraid to ask for for a double blessing from what we've seen. God, do greater things than we've seen in other generations. And, And so, At the beginning of verse 9, when it said they had come to the other side um, of of the river, it's actually interesting. When they were coming up to cross the river, Elijah took off his cloak and and he kind of rolled it up and he struck the water and the water parted like like when God did it for for Moses when they're crossing the Red Sea. I mean, he he struck the water and it parted and then they went across. That's what happened right before verse 9. And so, uh, Elijah... His ministry and life on earth ends in the next couple verses, and he's taken up to heaven in, in this amazing miracle where there's chariots of fire that swept down and picked him up. And then, ver- and then as he ascended, Eli- his cloak actually fell down. And then we're going to pick up in verse 13, and it says, Elisha picked up Elijah's coat, which had fallen when he, when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elijah went across. Now this is just a really interesting thing, because Elisha's interactions with Elijah, it started with his cloak falling onto his back, and then Elijah's last interaction with Elisha was really his cloak falling. There's this poetic component to it, Um, but Some translations, and especially the Greek, the, one of the early translations from the, we still have the original language that scripture was written in, in manuscripts, but as they're translated into English, they, they're kind of translated, trying to keep up with modern language in different ways. And when this was translated into the Septu- Septuagint, which is one of the older translations, um, they, they actually described it, that it, it was struck twice. Because there's this sense with the question mark in this passage um, that Elisha, you know, after his master's cloak has fallen, he walked back to the river that his master had just parted with the cloak. And there's this sense in the passage that when Elisha struck it, all that happened was a splash. Could you imagine like just the little bit of feeling in that of like, God, I thought you were in this, like I just spent over 10 years in in, it. And then there's this question that, and there's a question mark. There's not an exclamation point, but there's the question mark of where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. I mean, he did the thing that he saw other people do, but at the point where he said, where is God in this? That's where the river parted which just brings back a truth that is reinforced throughout all of Scripture. If God is not at the heart of it, if obeying and loving God is not at the heart of life change, if you just try to do Christian things without ever giving him your whole heart, it's going to lack power. It's going to lack results. It always starts with putting God at his right place in all of these things. Band, if you guys will make your way back out, I'm going to begin to wrap things up. When, when, you, when thinking back through the, this, this quick recap of Elisha's story and how it interacts with, with who we are, it, this, is, this is a principle that I see in there, and it's start big and stay steady. Sometimes, sometimes we do need a big start. Sometimes if you're really going to follow through on the diet, you've got to go and throw away like $100 worth of food just to get it out of your house. Sometimes if you're saying, you know what, the phone is a problem for me, you've got to go to Verizon and buy a flip phone and get rid of the iPhone or the Android for a season. If media is consuming your household, you've got to take the power cords and shred them. So Sometimes to get things right, it requires a big start because there's that whole principle of inertia. Like things that are at rest stay at rest. Things that are in motion stay in motion until acted upon by a greater force. Sometimes we need to do something. I wanted to uh, bring a big boulder in and show you it's really hard to like start getting it rolling and then have someone on the other side and show you it's really hard to stop it once it's rolling. But our insurance agent didn't like that idea. I, I, I get it because it's like once something starts moving. How are you going to stop it? And so in your spiritual life, what do you need to do to start big this year? It's like, I want to be close to God, but I just don't want to have to do anything. Well, then do you really want it? Do you really see the picture of who he is and how great he is? This is why maybe you've seen some people on the edges of your life talk about, you know, I'm I'm fasting to start off the new year for a couple of days because I want to start strong into my spiritual life. Maybe you've seen someone get baptized and like that seems like a pretty crazy thing to do in front of all those people. Well, that's because, man, there's that public statement, the proclamation that I am all in and I'm I'm dead to that old life and I'm rising up to a new one. Whatever step that you need to take in your spiritual life, in your family life, in in your career path. It might take some drastic energy and motion and change and it might turn some heads from the people around you, but who cares? Pursue what you need to pursue. I mean, Elisha burned the plows. We we see in history, you know, in in in, in the 1500s, Cortez brought, brought... 500 soldiers and 100 sailors across from Spain to try to conquer Mexico and as they had made that journey and made that sail when they got there some people began to say I think we should just go back home and Cortez burned and sank the ships the only way we go home is if we're victorious not that Cortez is a role model by any means but he understood one thing that to be all in you've got to get rid of your fallback fallback plan. If there's been a struggle, if there's been a vision that you know, I need to pursue this, but you just keep that fallback plan, you just, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep it around. It's time to burn the plows, time to burn the ships, time to pursue God with your whole heart. So, what would you need to do to start? Start strong. We start strong, we start with a big motion, and then we stay steady. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you put in front of us. We thank you that even in in sight of our failings, that you continue to call us, continue to pursue us, continue to invite us in. Give us the courage to step out in whatever way you desire us to step out. That sometimes heads turn when we follow in baptism or when we make changes to the way our families operated. But help us to stay steady as we make that start, so that you can be honored not just in this month, not just in this year, but for years down the road. May we live in a way that blesses generations to come.